Greetings everyone and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay and today we're going to be in Revelation chapter number 21. We've just come on the other side of uh, the great white throne judgment and all of death, hell, and the grave have been tossed into the lake of fire and are now facing the second death. And on the other side of that judgment seat, we will find the, the sheep that were gathered uh, to the hand of Christ, whose names were found written in the book of life, which would be uh, the, the covenant of Israel, the church, and the martyred saints that have all trusted in Messiah to come, the Messiah that had come, and the Messiah which was proclaimed to them during the time of the tribulation. And all of these will now enter into the promise that was given unto them, new heaven, in a new earth. We're going to take a look at that. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done, for what you're going to do, and what you're going to reveal to us. We just thank you, Lord, for the blessing of knowing that at this time we have the assurance of our salvation, that we we don't have to linger and, and fear those things which which cannot befall us if indeed we have received you as our Lord and Savior and we have a right relationship with you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the comfort. Thank you for the promises. And thank you for being our God in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Much thanks can be given in this section of Scripture. We're reading from verse number 1 down to verse number 6 of Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of a heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people." God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he, sat, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirst. Uh, verse number 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And verse number 8, But the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's tough to, it's tough to realize that you fit in the category of those who are worthy of the second death. You take a look at this list and and in former research studies uh, from Lifeway Research Group, uh, which is a Christian research group alongside of Barna Research Groups, uh, there, there have been multitudes of, of studies and statistics that were drawn dealing with Christianity and sin. 
Uh, one of those things in particular of, of Christians and even more specific to pastors as well. There's one study that was done by pastors in this nation as well as another study that was done by, by those who claim to be Christian is what the rate of addiction to pornography was. And I believe in the, in the pastors, of course, keeping this in mind, that statistics are only statistically correct a percentage of the time, is because there's most likely a huge part of the population that is so embarrassed by their sin that, that they're not going to say and there's an even greater chance that the people who do answer this statistic are going to lie about this one particular area called sexual immorality. But that 70, somewhere in the 70 percentile range was pastors who had faced an addiction with pornography and, and the, the people... Uh, claiming to be Christian was somewhere in the 80 percentile range. And you think, wow, that's that's huge. And that's that's like the guy standing in the pulpit that's staring at me is battling with this addiction that that nobody knows about, but the, but it's it's the nature of the flesh that wars against the nature of the spirit that we find in Romans chapter number seven. And so that, that you would see this list that would, would not make it into the promises of 1 to 7, but this list says that they have their part in the lake of fire. And you see these, these sexually immoral, you, you see the idolaters. And if, if there's anything that we've ever worshipped above and beyond God and and you say, well, I would never worship anything above and beyond God, but then, but then we would we would literally paint ourselves in the colors of our football teams and we would be out on the field shouting and screaming. We would we would wear the jerseys of our baseball teams and skip church all summer, traveling all over the the the, the countryside chasing after these travel balls and, 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 and you'd start to discover that there is a great potential that these things they aren't bad at all. I'm not downing the idea of these things. They're not bad enough of themselves. But they become sin to us when we begin to worship those things more than God. And when those things take more place in our heart, more importance in our heart than God. We become idolaters. And we've dealt with the immorality, sexual immorality. We've dealt with the idolaters, the cowardly. That's a tough one right there. The cowardly. What exactly is being referred to in, in cowardly, but those that would be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus before men? That people would walk up and say, aren't you one of those Christians? And kind of like Peter, where he would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Peter was at that moment being cowardly. He was he was shirking back from the duties that Jesus gave him to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus in his life. Unbelieving, that's pretty clear cut. Abominable, that's a little bit more difficult. That that is a people that that is just living a life that makes God want to throw up is what that word means. Abominable comes from the 
uh, same word root that that abomination comes from, and it and it just makes God want to puke. That's the life of a person that's just connected cowardly, connect cowardly to unbelieving and sexually immoral and idolatrous liar, and you have something that is abominable. <laughs> and the problem is, is that y- you may find within the human heart. All of these things connected together simultaneously at parts of our life so that we would have to acknowledge that that (laughs) all of us have been abominable in the sight of God. And at these, these traits, this cowardly, unbelieving murderer, murderer, by the way, uh, when we get into First John, the letters of First John, you're going to find that those who hate their their brothers, those who hate their fellow church members, their 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 literal kinship brothers and sisters, in their heart they hate them. They're guilty of murder before God. Those who who stare upon other people to lust after them, rather women are staring at men, men are staring at women anymore nowadays with the corruption of our desire men are staring at men and women are staring at women regardless of how this transaction turns out we find that that jesus said if you're staring at that person to lust after them in your heart you're guilty of adultery i mean there's all of this comes together to reveal that what is expressed in the outward nature of a person is a very little part of that person. What's happening inside them is amazing. For everyone watching this right now can certainly consider a multitude of things that they've thought never said. Because had they said them, they knew the fires that they would start. They knew the bridges they would burn. They knew the the trouble that would be caused. But praise God, they thought all of that through. <laughs> There are there are multitudes of actions that we've thought about that we've never taken. There there's been people that we we had considered ways of taking them out. There are there are people that we would have pounced upon and beat them into the ground if 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 we had opportunity. We thought about it, but we never did it. There there are so many things. There's so much going on in the human heart that may never be expressed in the outward person. But the heart is where God is working. The heart is where God is judging. The heart is what God has has deemed fit for him or, or unfit for him. And that's where all of this stuff of Revelation 21.8, that's where it's all taking place. And so we, we are receiving an additional warning this is just one of those things where we come to this place where we see this this beauty, we see this this great thing happening, every tear being wiped away from the eyes, no more no more pain, no more suffering. We oh, praise the Lord, we see it. But there's just this interjection here of this this one place to say make certain of your salvation. Don't think that any of the above things from verses verse 8 don't think that any of the above verses 
can apply to you if you've not been saved, if you've not surrendered to Christ. It doesn't matter if you've reformed your ways to not doing those things you read in verse number 8 anymore. If you've not surrendered your heart to Jesus, then you don't belong to God. And so you will not enter the promises of verses 1 to 7, plain and simple. The only way to receive the promises of verses 1 to 7 is to come to Jesus. Verse number 8 shows that everyone that has not turned to Jesus is going to be in that lake of fire. So let's take a look. Now, we've covered the bad. Amen. Let's cover the good. He says here, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Now, the sea being those things which are boundaries that keep continents apart from each other, no more need for the boundaries due to the fact that everyone that's going to be on the face of the planet, or as it was in the New Jerusalem above the planet, is going to be of one mind, in one accord, in a state of holiness. So sin has been devoured. Sin has been destroyed. The lake of fire is filled with the nature of sin in mankind, that the judgment seat has, is over. It was done in the last chapter. And so what we have here is we have the martyred saints at the temple of God serving the Lord with, with gladness. We have the church uh, descending, as you're about to see, from, from under heaven and above the earth, where, where the church age saints shall dwell with Jesus, the Messiah, and we see the earth, a brand new heaven, a brand new earth for the old covenant Israel to dwell in the land that truly now is flowing with milk and honey. And, and what thrill that will be. And he says, uh, no necessity of any sea. Then verse number two, I, John, the certification of who's seeing what and, and what they're seeing uh, John saw the holy city, that beautiful new Jerusalem. Oh, praise God, the place where Jesus sits. He says, I saw her coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And you think about the most flamboyant weddings. You think about the, those, those British royalty weddings. You, you consider the thrill of the human heart concerning the, the lavish weddings as we see on uh, regular occasions on Hallmark, these amazing uh, wedding scenes and, and the glory of the bride and the beauty of the dresses and the beauty of the marriage halls. And the, I mean, just, just it's just incomparable. It's incomparable. People, especially young ladies, but people love to see those wedding scenes. And and in fact, a wedding is something that, that most people, without even blinking an eye, a wedding is something that they'll dump 10,000, 20,000. Some people dump 30,000 up, uh, up to a million just in one hour, just in one day. Thousands of dollars being spent in this one moment on, on the dress and on everything else you can imagine just for this one day to be perfect. 
And you think about that. You think about the amount of importance that this one day, this one decision, this this one moment makes in, in the lives of everyone that's impacted by it. And that's what's happening here. That's the importance. And, and it's pretty wild how even atheists, even people who, who, who refuse to believe in God, will shell out thousands on their wedding day. Well, of course, I have questions about that. Why even have a wedding day? I mean, if, you're, if you are, don't believe there is God, then what exactly is marriage? And why exactly are you doing marriage? And especially if you're atheist, from the the scientific perspective, then why in the world would you ever get married? What is the drive that brings you to this marriage? What 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 benefit would there be to only being connected to one person when when in the survival of the fittest you would expect that you would be connected to multiple peoples that you would that you would be shelling out children every chance you got all over the world just to populate enough to be able to survive? I mean, what 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 drives you to this this spouse what what brings you to this point you say well history we've been doing it that way for for centuries well millenniums even we've been we've been doing you know this marriage thing well, where did it begin why would would man supposedly evolve to the concept of of being connected to this one person and even even throughout the world even when you have concubines you have different societies that believe in things like harems and you you have this still you find the the principle of marriage even in those lands as being something of of importance as something that is necessary now you you may be married to more than one person but in each occasion you are going through this ceremony of of ceremonial connection with this person why where did that come from why well the answer is because it comes from god and all of mankind even those that don't want to believe that god exists are created in his image and after his likeness and marriage is the very first institution that god created on this earth between people on the earth he 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 brought eve to adam and he he literally walked her down the aisle as her father giving her unto his son and and wow that that is the very first connectional ministry that god created for man to have is marriage and so it is ingrained in our heart to be married it's ingrained there and we have of course corrupted it horribly we we could see that throughout our own lives or through the lives of our societies there's no question that we've corrupted marriage ridiculously but it doesn't change the fact that it's still there it still exists we cannot escape it it's a drive that's deep within us the recesses of our heart because we're created in the image of god and that's exactly what you receive here. As he said, the holy city, I saw that holy city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Oh, praise God. He said in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's that, it's that relational connection that, that comes. And, and as that bride, you know, in, in the wedding processions, would you find in, in every case, the bride is, is coming down that aisle to be with the, the bridegroom, right? The bride is always being ushered in by a respected family member or by the position of what is the father. The bride is coming in. And and the beauty of this is exactly what you see here. As, as God brought Eve to Adam, literally in this, this scenario, and as we see this taking place throughout the scriptures, we find that God proclaims here in verse number three, I will be their God and I will be with them, right? The tabernacle of God is with men. He, he mankind, will dwell, or God, rather, uh, back in verse number three, Scrubbo then. <laughs> verse number three, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Mankind, they'll be his people, and God, he'll dwell with them. God himself will be with them and be their God. What a thrill that moment's going to be. And in verse number four, he says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Guys, we we read this on a regular occasion for funeral services, right? Because this is the kind of consolation that we're longing for. This is the moment that we're that we're hoping to come to pass in the future where where the pain of this separation, the grief of the loss of family members, we don't have to suffer anymore. And, and it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And, and there shall be no more death. Not going to suffer death anymore. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There's not going to be any more crying. Now, sorrow and crying are connected together, but they are two separate things as well. There can be the depth of sorrow that not one tear is dropped over, and there there is the tears that can drop because of joy, not necessarily sorrow. So though they are connected, they are two separate occasions as well. And he said there's not going to be death, and because there's no death, there's not going to be a need for sorrow anymore, and thus there won't be a need for crying over the sorrow of death. He says, there shall be no more pain. Hallelujah to that one, guys. Raise your hands to that promise. There shall be no more pain. The former things, and the former things that are being referred to specifically is is the nature of the flesh, the the nature of, of sin. The former things have passed away. It just like was said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 when he says old things pass away. In verse number 17, behold, all things become new. This is the literal fulfillment of that which was spoken. Because if you have no more pain, you have no more death, you have no more sorrow, all those things are connected to us in this modern time because of sin. Remember, it says because of one man in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, because of one man, sin entered in the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men 
for that all have sinned. So we discover that the challenge of death, the challenge of the sorrow that we face, the crying that is produced of that sorrow, the pain that we go through, all of this is connected to sin, but it's gone. It's done. It's, it's perished. We, we now have been transformed in body and in mind. We are as Jesus is. And so we can just give God praise for the former things that have passed away. And verse number five says, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Hallelujah for that. Thank God for the promise that we receive in all things being made new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. In other words, it's going to happen. He said to me, it is done. It is going to happen. All of these promises that we have received, all of these, these treasures we've been able to read over, and as we look at the New Jerusalem, and as we see the, the, the other side of all of this, Revelation number 22, it's, it's to be understood that Jesus said, I make all this happen. He says, I'm, it's going to be done. It's so thrilling. By the way, the, the scripture says, not I made all things new, not I will make all things new, but a present tense scenario here where he says, behold, I make all things new. So you have the hope of being made new today. Now, Understand what I'm saying, because I'm not saying that, that because you, you have arthritis and you hurt today, that somehow you're not, you've not been made new and that you're in danger of verse number eight. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you can have a revived heart today and literally be brought into the promise, thereby being made new at this moment a new heart longing for Jesus, a new life covered by the blood of the Lamb, a new home in this Jerusalem that descends. It, it, everything literally can be made new for you in this moment if you surrender to Jesus. For only Jesus has the authority from God to make all things new. And he said, write these words, are true and faithful. He says, it is done. It is done. This is something that we can rest upon in the assurance of God's promise because it is done. You know, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, it is finished. But now the work of salvation that was finished on the cross of Calvary has come to its fruition in the fact that Jesus now says, it is done. It is done. Hallelujah. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And I will give of the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Oh, hey, go ahead and take a drink of that right now. Go ahead and take a drink of that fountain right now. Don't hesitate and don't wait. Because if you reject the cup of that fountain, you're never going to taste it. But if you surrender to the cup of that fountain, you can drink of that that literal fountain of the water of life freely, you can come to Jesus. Ask him for that cup and he will give it to you. You can come to Jesus and he will provide you. Jesus even said, those who come 
hungering shall shall be satisfied. Jesus said that that you shall not thirst any more in John chapter number six and the promise that Jesus makes in John chapter number six about being the bread of life. He said, "Those who come and after me shall not hunger, nor shall they thirst any more, because it's done." He's going to give freely to all who would ask of him. He will give. In verse number seven, he who overcomes. Now we're talking about the situation that was the same as what it was in chapters two and three, dealing with the churches. To them who overcome, he said, you're going to inherit all things. You know, the inheritance that is bestowed upon you through the Father because of the Son is that what belongs to the Son belongs to you. And that, that's all things. As, as the Son is creator of all things, then you inherit all things for that you are a child of the King and, and the inheritance of the Son becomes your inheritance. He says, if you come to me and I receive you and you are born again, you'll inherit all things. He said, I will be his God and he shall be my son. By the way, the, the concept here also falls under the daughters. <laughs> it's not like everybody's going to be transformed into being a guy. Now, that was an interesting thought that came out of one of the the false gospels, I believe they are, but there was a there was a gospel that was found. They're called the Gnostic Gospels, or the Gospels of Knowledge, apparently, I guess is what they want to say. And and in the Gnostic Gospels, as believed to have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls out there and in, in Abla, that, that one period of time in our in our history, there was a gospel of Thomas. Now, the interesting thing about the Gospel of Thomas was that the writing stated specifically, and I've got this somewhere, I've got the notes on these Gospels to be able to reveal them in, in, in their false nature, but the writing says that in order for a person to enter heaven, they must be male. So all of the females, as they come to Jesus to receive salvation, when in a process of their new birth, being born again, they are transformed into men. Makes no sense at all. I guess because the reader of, of or the writer, I should say, of that particular gospel had read the scriptures and constantly came across the affirmative of the masculine you would see, and I will be as God, and he shall be my son, and, and came to a conclusion, instead of understanding the the way in which the, the language of their day, that they would most likely be speaking, because they would be capable of reading it, but, but would fail to understand that in the plural sense, or in, in the sense that is being given here in this particular scripture, it is to the point that when you have more than, than one person being referred, it, it goes to the masculine. One person being referred as a multitude of men and women together. So if you have all men together, it's a masculine, obviously. If you have all women together, it's a feminine noun, obviously. But when you have men and women together in the same group, in, in just about all the languages of the world, you'll find that being referred to in the masculine. And so you'll see that that in this case, you, you are perfectly allowed to be the daughters. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. And and the important point about this is understanding that that God created Eve, he created woman to be with man to, to for them to be one flesh and that she is just as special in her creation as Adam was in his creation and so that we understand that that in the in the end times that that man and woman will be treasured by God by their uniqueness of his glory in in them so it's very important to understand that <coughs> he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God he shall be my son but as we started off with this, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Not a good place to go. Moving to the New Jerusalem. Now, we're, we're definitely going to cover this in, in a greater scope on Thursday because there are so many beautiful things that, that come out of this city and so much to be able to cover in it. But for, for the opportunity to be able to read over this section of Scripture, which leads to the end of the chapter, it's, it's just a powerful thing to read over. So we're going to... Look from verse number 9. We're going to read down to 27. We're just going to feast upon the, the riches of God's Word in this as He speaks to us without any commentary. And then we'll, we'll close out. We'll get ready for Wisdom Wednesday. So the Scripture goes forward to say it. Verse number 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying... Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he walked, and he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls. 140 and 4 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and its city, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chastledony, the fourth emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, and the ninth, topaz, 
the 10th Chrysoprase, the 11th Jacinth, and the 12th Amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the city, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What promises we have awaiting us on Thursday, and what a thrill it is to be able to rejoice in those things that God is doing, and the revelation of the home that we shall have in heaven. Also, a couple of things in here is noting the different people groups and the different placements that you will find the peoples in. Just a lot of good stuff here, guys. So, uh, with having said that, we will close out our time together here. We will get together on Wisdom Wednesday tomorrow and feast upon a rejoicing in that which we receive from God through the book of Proverbs. Uh, in chapter 5, I do believe we have made it to. So uh, when we tap out to Revelation 22 and we complete the book of Revelation, a, a great deal of our time will then be uh, transferred to when, or to the book of Proverbs. We will take that book on the same way that we're taking on this particular uh, book of Revelation so that we can just press through the book of Proverbs and, and, and soak it up a whole lot more than just once a week. And we will start off on uh, the short letters like Jude and Philemon, and, and we will do those on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll break off from Revelation, do the others uh, once we complete this. And we're pretty close to it, guys, so hold on tight. The rest of the ride, we may finish it well. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We praise you for everything that you're going to do. We ask for your blessing upon us here at Martin for this evening. After this, the airing of this broadcast, we shall come together to begin our VBS and that we may be able to make a splash for Jesus in our obedience and in our faith, and in our courage, and in our worship, and in our service to our Lord, we may be able to praise Him. So we ask for your blessing, Lord, upon us as we consider these things, and we are grateful for everything you have done in us, with us, and through us, that we may rejoice this day together as a body of Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you, and I will catch you tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesday, and what a thrill it will be. So, till then, take care, guys.